Well, welcome back to the uh, Palm View Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. This is uh, Trey Hinkle. I'm one of the pastors here. I get to uh, preach a lot, and it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing. You haven't uh, actually heard the podcast version of the Sunday Sermon Series because, um, well, uh, I'd gotten sick a little bit. My, my wife had gotten sick. Our girls had gotten sick. Um, and then just things got a little crazy. So anyways, we're back, and, and it's good to be back. Um, I'm glad that uh, we were able to put uh, the sermon, the actual sermon from Sunday, actually on the podcast. So you're able to do that, but I don't get a chance to actually talk to you guys directly. It's good to be back. It's good to be back uh, being able to uh, tell you all the things that uh, we're going to be telling the congregation on Sunday. And again, if you've ever uh, find yourself here in uh, Powell Butte, uh, Oregon, um, uh, on a Sunday... Uh, we'd love to have you drop in. Uh, we have a lot of different things going on at 8.30, uh, 10.30, 11.30. Anyways, or you can continue to listen to the podcast, and that's good. Uh, we're in this middle of a series called This Is Us, and we're talking about the church, and uh, we're, we're looking at the practices and then the personnel and, and, uh, and all of that kind of stuff. And, and today uh, is kind of a part two. Last week, uh, we began to look at... Um, how authenticity is uh, called for by God when we become part of his family because it's through authenticity that our life changes. Um, we looked at First John chapter 1 where it says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we will have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies or cleanses us from all unrighteousness, which again is different than being forgiven. We are forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross, but we are cleansed when we are able to open up in fellowship, authenticity with one another, sharing our struggles and our sins so that uh, God can then have the opportunity of the the accountability and the authentic Christian relationships that we have developed in that fellowship to actually begin to, to work on the things that need to get worked on and that we need to have as much honesty in a church as they do in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And that's, that's the only way that uh, we can find uh, victory to overcome the sins that uh, so easily... journey. And then I said to the congregation, you need to come back for part two so that you can understand how it actually happens. All right. And that's what this is all about. I want to begin with the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, where Jesus is getting ready to go back up to heaven and he gathers his disciples and he says, listen, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, Jesus' commission was not to make converts, but to make disciples. When you look at what the church is supposed to be about, people can talk about a lot of things. They can talk about uh, what they like about the, the, the guy who's preaching or, or the preferences that they have in the music style or, or a service time. Uh, they, they might say, I like this building better than that building. <coughs> I like this order of service. I don't like it. <laughs> when they do this, <clears throat> excuse me, but I do like it when they do this. But that's really not what Jesus is talking about. Ultimately, everything that we are supposed to be doing as a church, everything will hinge. It will come back to making disciples. Because on this side of eternity, it's all about discipleship. Okay, It's, it's all about making disciples. Because once we're in heaven, we don't need to make disciples anymore. And so this is the one thing that we can do now that we don't get to do in heaven. Now, as we talk about the church, uh, this is us, right? That's kind of our, our series theme here. We've opened up our understanding of the concept of fellowship. 
and, and that means authenticity, fellowship with God, fellowship with one another, and, and both of those help us deepen our spiritual lives. See, when we have fellowship with God, when our relationship with Him is authentic, then we can come to Him, um, we can come clean with Him, right, um, in regard to our sinfulness. We, we can confess our need to be made right with Him. We can say, yes, I'm a sinner in need of salvation. And then we uh, admit that uh, we need to have some help here, and so we keep in step with the Spirit as the Spirit leads us in what I call a divine dance where He takes the lead and we learn how to, to uh, uh, kind of follow His steps. And, and it's a beautiful thing once we do that, and, and then we begin to experience the power of God to change our life so that we can reflect the image of Jesus more and more. So that's fellowship with God. And when we have fellowship, again, that's the authenticity. When we have fellowship with other believers, then we, we are allowing God's power to come in to us through the church, to his body, to come alongside of us to provide encouragement and, and loving correction for those struggles that we face. Because we all struggle. We all have sins. And, and far too many believers try to hide that fact. And in doing so, they never truly find the freedom that Jesus came to bring to his people. Now, though the church structure has shifted throughout the ages, one thing has remained constant. You see, and this thing was the essential. It was one of the essentials to the life of the early church in the days after Jesus went back to heaven. And this is the thing that sustained the church during times of intense persecution. This was the thing that gave them strength to go the extra mile to serve the outcasts of this world. Uh, times where disease uh, had had devastated a country. It was the church that was there uh, with strength to, to help and to, to minister to those needs, to, to, to uh, serve the forgotten and the oppressed and the impoverished. And, and I believe today it's so foolish to try to live out our faith without this structure that has been so vital throughout the entire history of Christendom. To see what that structure was and still is, we've got this wonderful resource in the book of Acts from the New Testament. Now, uh, some of you may know that the book of Acts is actually entitled the book of the Acts of the Apostles. You, you know, uh, this is an account of what the apostles did, their acts, back in the first century as they were living out this great commission and the great commandment to love God and to love people. So if we are, are going to get a, a picture of how authenticity is played out most effectively in the body of Christ, which is the church, uh, there are a few wonderful passages to look at from the book of Acts. The first one is actually the result of what happens when the people of God uh, live out their lives in an authentic way. If, if you go to Acts chapter 4, uh, if you'll want to look at uh, verses 32 through 35, this is what uh, the, the, the Bible tells us. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and, and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, isn't that a great picture of a great church? Can you imagine what what it would have been like to be a part of a community where the key thing really was unity, where they, they had all things together and, and, and they were of one heart and of one soul. And when there were needs, people who had the, the means to meet those needs did what they could to help out. 
Uh, and great power, as Luke mentions there, great power helping the leaders to continue to preach the good news of Jesus' resurrection. And, and that there was much grace as people uh, were forgiven and accepted. And then as they would forgive and accept one another into the fellowship. You know, I, I get frustrated. And, and my frustration is growing in regard to the, 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 uh, the average American believer out there who feels that their individual rights as an American and, the, and their individual responsibility, somehow that trumps the call of Jesus to put other people's needs before their own. Sometimes, somehow they overlook Philippians 2, where Paul tells us that the believer is called to be uh, a servant, to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, and to do what he had modeled. They forget that Jesus actually said in John chapter 13 to his disciples, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Once you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. See, that's the vision Jesus had for us, his kingdom church, that we would love one another, that we would serve one another, that we would care for one another, that we would share with one another, that we would show mercy to one another. And so here's my frustration. Why are there so many churches out there unwilling to obey Jesus? One of the main reasons that the early church grew so quickly was that the people saw how much that church loved each other. Now, who wouldn't want to be a part of a community like that? Who, who wouldn't want to be a part of a community that actually took care of each other's needs and loved each other in a very real way? But then, who would ever want to stay in that kind of community when love was promised, when support was actually supposed to be a part of the experience, but in reality, nobody actually really cared? They were all individuals. They, they were all just taking care of themselves, and you were kind of on your own. <laughs> it's no wonder so many people have had a hard time committing themselves to, to being in a church when that church does not reflect the values that Jesus has envisioned for the church to have. See, that was the intended result that Jesus had envisioned. So how does that come into play? Well, for that, we actually look, have to look at the, the pathway to that end. Uh, let's look back uh, just a, like a page or two in your Bibles to Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. This is talking about the early church. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles' And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and, and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, again, we see the effectiveness of, of what happens when a church does what a church is supposed to do, when it, when it looks like what it's supposed to look like. If you look at the last verse, it says they were praising God, and they were having favor with all the people, and guess what? They were growing. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And it, and it wasn't just uh, adding it because it was a very entertaining thing, but these people were being saved. They were becoming disciples as well. 
So the, 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 uh, the effectiveness is that God is honored, people are being ministered to, and people's lives are being changed. Isn't that a, a, an amazing picture of a church that would actually make a difference in this world? Again, that's Jesus' intent for us. But you see in that passage how they got there. Because did that church grow like so-called experts have told us in the last 40 or 50 years? Uh, did they grow by just using watered-down sermons or, or minimizing personal responsibility to uh, love and to, and to, to serve one another? Uh, did, did, they, did they grow because they didn't want to be radical and so they uh, kind of de-emphasized repentance and all that? Actually, none of those things that we have been told in the last 40 years of how to grow a church, none of those things were implemented. And yet this church grew, and it grew exponentially. The, the, the passage is clear. How did they grow? How did they get to where they could turn the world upside down? Well, they devoted themselves, which, by the way, this tells me that this was not just another, you know, sideshow ministry program that you give to your associate pastor to, to become one program of very many in the church. No, this is, this is what it was. It was the core of their community. What was at the core? Scripture, fellowship and breaking of bread together, and prayer. When a church is devoted to these things, God will move in a mighty way. Lives will be changed. People will be cared for. And the world will be turned upside down. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking right now that our world needs to be turned upside down again. And this is what the church should be about. This is what our church should be about. We don't cater to what the culture wants us to be. But we devote ourselves to God's word. We devote ourselves to spiritual maturity as we learn how to do life together. And we devote ourselves to relying on God's power and presence through our prayers to accomplish God's purposes. By the way, that's discipleship. That's discipleship right there. These are the things that counted in the early church. And these are the things that must count again today. But here's the bottom line. Where are you going to find a place where all of those things can apply? Where are you going to find a place, for example, that you cannot just hear God's word, but you can actually find a way to apply it? You know, that's the idea of what Scripture is supposed to be about. Psalm 119 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? See, there's, a, there, there's an actually a behavior. There's a, uh, there, there's a difference in what I do because of Scripture. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you, so let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up or I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches, and I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes, and I will not forget your word. You see, when God's word is so important to us, then we will put it into our hearts so that it will change the way we live. It's, it's not just enough to hear the word. We have to actually do it as well. So is there a, a place where we can actually learn how to apply God's word? Is there a place that we can become more biblically literate? Not just hearing it, but putting it in, in, into practice, meditating on it, guarding it. Now, that's either going to happen when you take time on your own to carve out some time every day to spend time in the Word, memorizing it, meditating it. Or, or you can find a gathering of other believers who 
care to find out what the Bible is all about? Who cares to find out what it really says and how it can speak into our day-to-day lives? Secondly, where, where are you going to find a place where you can practice fellowship, that, that authenticity we talked about last week, or where you can break bread together with other believers? Now, when you talk about breaking bread, uh, that's, yes, that was a time that they would get together uh, for meals, and uh, they would share fellowship over a meal. Now, unless you're talking about meals uh, where people grab food for themselves in the kitchen and they go wherever, like their room or the family room to eat it, and they get on their mobile devices and they're checking their, their email, their Instagram posts and, and everything like that, and not really even talking with, with each other, unless you're talking about that, I would even say that today, unless you're doing those horrible things, eating together actually means something. It, it, it's sharing life together. Having somebody over to your home to break bread, that that means you're sharing life together and you're being mutually nourished from the same table. In Bible times, and again in our culture, though maybe not so much anymore, to do that, to break bread with one another, was a very personal, very intimate thing to do. But by this time in the life of the believer, breaking bread together took on a more spiritual significance. Why? Well, because Jesus had instituted what is known as the Lord's Supper what we call here at Pal Butte, communion time. Breaking bread in a time of communion or in a time of recognizing the Lord's Supper means that we're now focusing not just on our earthly relationships, but on our connection to Jesus himself. And apparently the early church did not wait for the Sunday worship service to break bread together. They did it every day. It was a very common thing. Now, some people can argue that when it becomes common, then it can lose its meaning, right? And here was something that Jesus gave to his disciples to remember him and to commune together in brotherhood. And yet, not too far into the life of the church, for instance, in in the church in Corinth, where people had forgotten what fellowship was all about, they were misusing and abusing this time of communion. Paul had to instruct them, listen, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Examine yourself. You must examine yourself before you eat of the bread and drink of the cup because you are taking this, you are eating this in, a, in, in an unworthy manner. You see, there in Corinth, even communion, which was supposed to be about remembering Jesus and communing together in brotherhood, it became all about them. It wasn't about Jesus. It wasn't about community. It was about them getting their fill. It was snack time, right? Like the little girl one time in, in, uh, in the children's church area that I was uh, helping out in when I was a teenager, uh, you know, she had never seen communion and thought, this is, this is great. We're getting crackers and juice. It's snack time. It was all about her. There, there, and, and when it's all about you, then there's no time for examining yourself. There's no time for a spiritual checkup. You see, when you actually commune together, break bread together in authentic Christian relationships, you actually have, a, you have a, an opportunity to truly have a, an honest checkup about your spiritual life. You can examine yourself before you eat of the bread and drink of the cup. When, it, when it's not about us, that can happen. Again, there's frustration on my part when, when in the American church it's all, only about us. It's about my preference for music style. It's about my preference for uh, service time. It's about my preference for which building to gather in. When you commit yourself to break bread together, then it's no longer about you. It's a very practical way to say this is about us. 
This is about our connection with each other and with Jesus. It's about together. And I'm going to come back to that phrase, by the way, together, that word, that, that concept. I sometimes actually wonder if even the way some churches do communion, like we do, um, if we make it, you know, we, we make this a personal time between us and the Lord. And there's nothing wrong with taking time to connect personally with the Lord. But I, I wonder if we're missing something. When we don't take the emblems together, when we don't eat together, when we don't break bread together, when we don't commune together. I mean, really, if you're going to get technical about it, isn't that really what communion is all about? Isn't communion all about community? And yet, um, maybe we're getting too individual even in our communion time. Just something to consider. And, fi- and finally, where, where are you going to find a place where community prayer is encouraged rather than just having the one guy, the, the, the one pastor or the, the one elder who comes up and does our meditations for that week to do the praying? Isn't prayer something that we all should be participating in as believers? For the believers in the early church, prayer was truly the desperate pursuit of his presence and his power because Jesus, their Lord, their teacher, had gone back to heaven. He had given them the gift of the Holy Spirit, which was beautiful. The Holy Spirit was now leading the church. But how can they know where the Holy Spirit was leading? How could they know how the Holy Spirit was leading? You know, Jesus had given them a pretty big job to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations and teaching them to obey all of his commands. That was a pretty big ask, right? That that was a pretty big task to, to give to his people. But Folks, throughout Scripture, God has given big tasks, big jobs to His people, to Moses, to Abraham, to Gideon, to Joshua. He has given big jobs to His people all the time, but always, 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 He promises to be with us, to move through us, and to empower us. Because where God calls us, He will empower us. And so we must declare our dependence on Him for the power to change our lives, for the power to love one another, uh, for the power to overcome our sins, uh, for the power to even make disciples. And how we express that dependence is this little thing, or this actually big thing, called prayer. The Bible says that the prayers of a righteous person will make a big impact. Can you then imagine the impact when a bunch of God's people, made righteous by the blood of Jesus, come together in prayer? The Holy Spirit came upon the believers in a mighty way on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts when they were together in prayer. Peter, the apostle, was miraculously delivered from prison and a sure death sentence when the church came together in prayer. There was a drought, by the way, this past year in Uganda. And we were made known of it because of our connection with Uganda through the K&K mission that we have there. They needed rain. Their crops were dying, and God made it rain when the church came together in prayer. Are you catching what I'm talking about here? See, there's the inner workings there of what the church has been called to. Scripture, fellowship, and prayer. But again, is there a a place, is there a particular process where these things can actually happen in an intentional and in an effective way? How does it happen How did the early church do it? One more passage, and that's just a couple couple pages over to the right in Acts chapter 5, uh, verse 42. 
Acts 5.42 says, And every day, again, speaking of the early church, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Now, where did this ministry take place? Well, it happened both in the temple, where a huge group of believers would come together for corporate worship, and it would also happen from house to house. I love that. I love that phrase, from house to house, because now you're talking about smaller groups, and both gathering together in a corporate sense at the temple and meeting from house to house, both were important. Both served a purpose. This last Wednesday at uh, men's breakfast study, my heart soared when I heard uh, of an event that happened last week during one of our services. One of our recently widowed men uh, was just feeling very, very down. Life was hard. He's struggling right now, as you could imagine. And during our welcome and greeting time, when we said, go ahead and turn around and look, uh, you know, say hi to one another, one of you, one of the people in our congregation saw that during that greeting time, they saw that this man looked like he was struggling, looked like he was having a hard time. And that person cared enough to go and check in on this guy that was just standing there. Nobody else was saying hi to him. And even before the sermon, when we talked about being open and honest with one another about our struggles, the, the man, the widower, actually decided that he was going to be honest and share with this man who had come up to him and say, hey, you know, I, I, I see that you're kind of down. Uh, what's going on? He decided that he was going to open up, be vulnerable, and share some of his struggle. Isn't that amazing? Now, now I know that these guys are going to have a connection from this point on. And it began here on a Sunday morning, kind of in the temple court, right, as we are in corporate worship. I know that these things can at least begin on a Sunday morning, but I also know that the struggle that the widower is going through is going to need a whole lot more care and time than the three minutes of welcoming and greeting. And so that's what was beautiful is they began a connection that day, last week, and that's going to continue on. And, and this man who's struggling who opened up and said, yes, I am struggling. Now there is a connection that will honor God and change somebody's life. See, in order for it to happen, it can't just happen on a Sunday morning anymore because we're busy people. We have a schedule to, to, to hold on to. In fact, I, I keep looking up at my sermon time to say, okay, am I under 30 minutes here? I can't go too, I can't go too long. But you know what? There is then a place outside of the Sunday morning service that people can do this. See, there's got to be a place and a time where people can be together outside of church services, where they can actually be the church outside of the church walls, where they can love one another and care for the needs of one another. How, how is somebody going to find out the needs of somebody else unless that person just kind of opens up like this widower had? Maybe you can get the, the prayer request via email, and, and that's a good way of finding out. But wouldn't there be a more personal way of, of knowing what the needs are out there? Where's one going to find Bible teaching and, and close, authentic relationships and, and a time to pray together and a, and a time to have people come alongside of you and, and encourage you and help you be more like Jesus and take care of your needs when there are needs? Now, there are a few ways to accomplish this. And today, my appeal from God's Word, 
and from the model of the early church that turned their world upside down through the power of changed lives is this. Get in a group. Get in a group. It doesn't matter what kind of group it is, folks, as long as it's a group that honors God and is um, uh, designed to have people commit to one another uh, to, to grow and to, to deepen their connection with one another and their connection with Jesus. Now, that could be a one-on-one discipleship relationship with someone who is a little bit further along in their spiritual journey. It could be in a Sunday school class where you're learning alongside people in the same uh, life stage as you are, like our uh, marriage class uh, does on a Sunday morning, or, or maybe uh, with similar interests in you, like our apologetics class that's going on right now as well. It could be in a men's study or a women's study where the experience of gathering together actually goes beyond just learning about the Bible, which is important to do, learning about the Bible, but it's also important to go beyond that. And of course, it could be in a life group, which is our small group ministry here at Powell Butte Christian Church that has been designed to create in the communities around the church over in Prineville and Redmond and Terrebonne and Alfalfa, uh, and, and here in Palbut itself, designed to create in those communities spiritually safe places where people can open up, where people can be vulnerable, where, where people can get to know one another and to be known, where they can find out a way to put what they're learning from the Bible, either in their own personal devotions or in a, a corporate setting on a Sunday morning, where they can learn how to put that into practice. In other words, there's got to be a place here, these life groups, where you, the, the idea of calling them life groups is you are there to do life together. Have you heard that word together a lot today as you're listening to this, this podcast? Together is what Jesus envisioned for the church. In his prayer for us in John 17, before Jesus would go to the cross, Jesus prayed, I do not ask for these disciples of mine only but also for those who will later believe in me through their word. Folks, that's us. That's who Jesus is praying about. He says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Do you see what Jesus' heart is for us? That we would be one, that we would be unified, that we would have unity, that we would do life together. You know, in a culture that demands more and more of our time and attention, I know this is a sacrifice, but consider this. What out there that is worth anything doesn't require sacrifice. The sacrifice will be for your time, for another night of the week. It's going to be a sacrifice of your willingness to put the effort into being vulnerable, to to accept other people in their weakness and struggles. But right now, I'll tell you, there's about 40 to 50 people in our church who can testify to you right now how well worth that sacrifice will be. So here's the bottom line. Would you take the next few weeks to pray about this? And maybe talk with one of the, the pastors or the elders that you know in, in your own community as you're listening to this and say, you know what, um, I need to put this into practice. 
Now, what we're doing here at Powell Butte is we are taking the 40 days that uh, lead up to Resurrection Sunday, and, and that's traditionally something called Lent, where you kind of give something up, where you sacrifice something to, to kind of become more spiritually honed in. Six weeks, six weeks leading up to Resurrection Sunday, starting in March, that will have the potential to change people's lives. And, and what we're asking our church to do is to prayerfully consider joining a six-week life group starting in March which, unless they're already in a, in, a, in a group, which, by the way, if you are in a group, when was the last time you were a cheerleader for that experience and, and actually invited people to, to come join you? Anyway, this will be a group that is structured around digging deeper into the concept of what a church could be if people devoted themselves to these things that the early church devoted themselves to. And then six weeks, that's all we're asking. Six weeks, that's it. If people come to the conclusion that that's not for them, or it's not for them right now because of their busy schedules, then great, they're, they're done. But I do believe that many, many people will, will experience something pretty cool. I, I, I believe that God's going to use those six weeks to inspire people in ways that they have not experienced before to continue to grow deeper in togetherness in their church. I'm not even going to do sign-ups this week because I really want people to pray about this and to seek God's direction. Because I, I trust that if God wants this of you, He's going to direct you to make the choices that you need to make in order for it to happen. And then, and then prayerfully, we can continue to do this throughout the year to, to give people just a six-week experience for them to understand, man, th- there is some power to this. This is how it happens, folks. It happens not just in a corporate setting. It happens when we get into smaller groups, discipleship groups, accountability groups, life groups, Bible study groups, community groups, whatever you want to call them. However it looks in your life, you can't do this on your own. You were never meant to do this on your own, and you will find more power when you're doing it with other people. All right, well, that's what I wanted to encourage you with uh, today, this week, for this week's podcast. Again, um, we are here every Sunday in Powell Butte, Oregon, uh, right there by Bend and Redmond, Oregon. If you're ever in our area, please swing by and tell us hi that you've heard us on the podcast. I want to thank uh, Steve Pittman for giving us all of the equipment that we can uh, do all of the stuff with and have a podcast. I want to thank Lisa Welly for uh, doing all the uh, behind-the-scenes work to get this up and running. And uh, I just want to thank you for your time, for giving us your time to listen to what God's Word says and to be encouraged. Uh, we'll we'll uh, catch you next week. 